Ever since sin entered the world, humanity has lived in rebellion against their creator. For that reason, God's people always wrestle with what it means to live in a world that is under his control, but against his will. Sometimes that world embraces them, sometimes it's indifferent, but most often it opposes them. Israel began as foreigners in a hostile land, a land not their own, and later as strangers, prisoners in exile, again a land not their own. The church spent its first three centuries under the rule and persecution of the powerful Roman Empire, but then discovered the privilege of power and influence over the surrounding culture. It also soon discovered the corruptions and temptations that came along with that power. But God never abandons his people, and church reform swept through Europe, bringing a new way of thinking about God, humanity, and the world. Compelling and persuasive ideologies began to influence both culture and the church. Science brought progress and hope. Sweeping cultural changes that have shaped our world into what it is today. A world once embracing, then indifferent, but now opposing. Good morning and welcome to Sunnybrook, and uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, college time is now upon us. If you are attending OSU this fall, raise your hand just so we can kind of know where you're at. Okay, five or six of you. Awesome. Glad you're here. We really are glad you're here. Um, uh, we're excited about not just um, this series, but we're excited about even sharing it. I'm not going to say that we specifically targeted this series um, for OSU students by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, for those of you that are attending, we really want to challenge you to maybe kind of stick through this series. It's going to be five weeks where we are going to be going after a lot of the cultural shifts that are happening around us. And so for those of us who are here on a very regular basis, um, those who are part of the Sunnybrook family really want you to, to listen up and to pay attention because we believe this series is absolutely critical for us to know how to look at the times in which we live. Now, here's one of the issues. We're, we're talking about winter and dealing with uh, the, the fact that we are now living in a culture that is in this process of, of moving away from a lot of the traditional ideas and values that, they, that it has been holding on to in the past. And how do we respond to something like that? And um, the initial uh, title for today's message is actually called Warning. Warning. Now, you, you gotta be careful using a word like warning. Um, and there are two specific dangers that can happen. And to kind of explain that, uh, let me just share with you uh, how I even saw this happen in my own life. On May 22nd, 2001, at 5.34 in the afternoon, um, it was reported that there were tornadoes on the ground just outside of Joplin, Missouri. And an EF5 tornado, which there were 20 minutes of warning, warning sirens that were actually sounding, as you know, tore through the Joplin area, killing 158 people. Um, we were actually on our way to a staff retreat exactly when that happened, and we were actually just about 30 minutes outside of Joplin, and so the next few days, we spent the time that we were supposed to spend on our retreat doing, um, uh, kind of offering assistance and help there in Joplin. Um, a friend of mine, or actually a brother-in-law of mine, back in Canada with a lot of different connections, knew that I was in Joplin and said, listen, there are a lot of, I'm from Canada originally, uh, there's a lot of Canadian news outlets that would love to have 
somebody on the ground in Joplin, and instead of sending anybody, why don't we just have Jim report there? And so at about six or seven different times, I was actually on my phone. Uh, I had people call me and say, hey, I was you know, somewhere in Canada and I heard Jim Johnson uh, and they kind of picked up that it was me. Uh, and here's the major question that Canadians ask about people who live in the tornado area. Like, why don't you people live in concrete houses? Or why don't you people move? Or why don't you people pay attention when a warning is issued? And I had an answer for that one, actually, because in 1991, my wife and I, we didn't have kids at the time, my wife and I moved from Calgary to Joplin, Missouri, so that I could go to school. And we bought a mobile home, because nothing is safer than a mobile home in Joplin, Missouri. And so that's what we decided to do. And I remember, Andrea and I, when when the first, you know, we had heard about tornadoes, and when the first warnings began, and and, and, you know, it's not just a warning, it begins with a watch, There's a tornado watch, which means, hey guys, uh, the the conditions are ripe for the possibility of a tornado to come. And when I heard watch, I literally thought it meant watch. So I went outside. No, no, which way is Kansas? Okay, look that direction, right? That's kind of how I was, and my heart is racing. Why? I'm not used to this. This is like a different situation that I'm in, and I wanna make sure that I'm paying attention, because A, I've never done this before, B, I'm in a mobile home and I'm in Tornado Alley. And so I was trying to pay attention, and then when the sirens would go off, we, we, we didn't wait. How many of you, when a siren goes off, your response is, where, where? Right, yeah, exactly, some of you are already raising your hands. And so I was trying to explain to the Canadian people, which they, they, it, it takes, it's hard for them to get this, um, you wouldn't just run for your life? And I said, you know, I've, I've lived in uh, kind of tornado areas my entire time that I've lived here in the US, and, and what happens is your heart is racing the first few times, but then after there's a watch and a warning and nothing, and then a watch and a warning and nothing, and 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 a watch and a warning and nothing. And so that's how we act now. Now, by the way, in Joplin, it's back to watch and warning, It is, like you don't kid around about it in Joplin. But give it some time. It's been four years, it'll be five years, and it's a watch and a warning, and 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 a watch and a warning. This is how it works. And so there are two major dangers that I'm aware of, that we are aware of as we move through this five-week series, And, and the first warning is obviously, or the first danger in issuing a warning is that the warning itself can actually turn our ears deaf. I've heard it before, I've heard it before, I've heard it before. So Jim, are you saying it's the end of the world? No, I'm actually not saying that. I'm not this apocalyptic doomsdayer person. I don't believe that the Dewey Decimal System is actually also the number of the beast and we all need to not get driver's licenses and run for our lives and Jesus is coming back in 80 days. And No, I believe Jesus Christ can come back at any moment. I believe that's been true for a very long time. So I'm not a doomsdayer, I'm not a, I'm not a prophet, I don't have a date, I'm not, it's not that kind of warning, it's, there is a shift, and I'm not even going to put a date on when it started, I, if, if I did, I would say it's, it's been happening for decades, maybe even centuries, that things are moving in America and in the West, and that the attitude that culture has towards the church and the church towards culture and the shift which is taking place and gaining speed is important. Don't turn a deaf ear, though. 
The other response that I want to make sure we know it's a danger and we're asking you, do not go here, is that we are not trying in any way, shape, or form to create greater levels of anxiety and fear. Those are not Christian responses to problems, to to cataclysmic shifts. No, they're not. We don't act that way. In in, in fact, we're probably, as a culture, have never been more safety conscious Everything is about safety and oh no and what are we going to do and how do we protect and, and, and even as we saw in Joplin, well what do we do? How do we make sure this never happens again every time there's a shoot, shooting? What do we do? How do we make sure this never happens again? We, we have a, a ministry field that we go to on a pretty regular basis in Piedras Negras, Mexico. And the first time I went, I remember being afraid. I remember being anxious. I remember being scared. Because I'm used to Canadian crossings, you know, like a guy in a moose suit waving, right? That's what I'm used to. Mexico's a little bit different. They have a a greater level of seriousness about it. And the first time I crossed over, and many of us were actually going down to spend a week um, in Piedras, I wasn't used to guys with machine guns with like bandanas that would cover most of their faces so you didn't know who they were. And so my heart began to race. Amazingly enough, now that I go down about twice at least a year and I do that ministry, it kind of feels like home. I have no problem just walking around town. Oh, that's a cartel house. Interesting. You, you, you do. You just you kind of get used to this. We, we took a, a group of high school students. We've done this before. We took a group of high school students and let them know, hey, listen, we're not in Stillwater, but God is still sovereign and over us. And honestly, if we make sure that we make wise and smart decisions, this can really be an incredible opportunity for us to be used by God in a situation that you might not be used to. And so we took these high school students just earlier this year, and, and you could just see um, as they're walking across the border, they're, they're like this, eyes are huge. It says don't use your phone. I don't even have a phone. What phone? I don't have a phone, you know? <laughs> That's the way they are. But even, even after they're there for a few days, I remember talking to this one young lady who was just kind of very like this when she got there and now she's just playing around Piedras. And I said, isn't it kind of interesting how that changes? And do you have that same level of anxiety and fear as you had when you first came? And, and she said, no, not at all. Like, this is actually a pretty safe place. I said, well, listen, it's still not Stillwater, but I'm glad you're kind of warming up to the place. I don't want you to just sit in fear the entire time you're here and miss the opportunity as to why God brought you here. She said something very interesting to me. Well, I wouldn't have been afraid if my parents weren't scaring me all the time about it. Hmm. But I get where her parents are coming from. Like, it's my kid, and it is a dangerous place. Like, I'm not crazy, I'm just scared. I know. I get it, stranger danger. Like, that's serious when you have a little kid and you don't want to lose it. So I understand where the fear and anxiety comes from, but we're going to remember that that is not a Christian response. It might be understandable, but then we're going to speak biblical truth to that so that we don't end up just in fear. By the way, I believe that many of the responses that we see on social media from Christian groups that come across as anger and frustration are actually deeply rooted in fear and anxiety. So it's not just don't be angry, it's don't be anxious. But give all of these things to God. So literally, I've almost talked to myself, well, maybe we shouldn't give a warning, but then texts like this speak to me. Ezekiel chapter three, verse 17. Son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman. 
for the house of Israel. A watchman is somebody literally who would, would, would stand kind of on the wall of the city and be constantly looking for foreign enemies that would be coming. Because then he would issue the call and the city would prepare. Close the gates, gather the army, prepare for defense. And it was critical that the watchmen did their job. And it's interesting that if a watchman failed, saw the danger, didn't report the danger, then his own life was actually taken. How dare you? Others are about to lose theirs. You knew there was an enemy approaching and you said nothing. You have forfeited your life. Wow, it's that serious? By the way, we, we, we get that serious when it's physical issues. We get that serious when there is a tornado approaching. Can you imagine if we found out that everybody knew there was a tornado hitting Joplin and then they just decided not to tell anybody because they fell asleep or they weren't paying attention? I mean, it's, you can't do that. There are lives at stake. And, and here we have not a physical watchman looking for an impending army, but a spiritual watchman. So this is Ezekiel, the spiritual watchman. I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, it's interesting, it's I want you to speak for me about what's going on around you. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Like, like what, if, what if the one that we should really be listening to, taking our cue from, is not culture and the rising tides and changing shifts of cultural trends, but from God, from him, and so therefore, I, I don't know if I have an option to just, let's not talk about this. Let's just do another series that'll just kind of um, maybe give us some good, applicable, biblical truth for today, which I'm not against that. We do that, we do that often. Let's go back and look at a Bible book. We do that more often. But we genuinely believe as a leadership that it's time for us to take a look at the culture around us and say, what should be a biblical response? I also love to be reminded of this powerful truth is that God brought us here at this moment to this place for a reason. I was born on May 17th, 1968 in Canada for a reason. I was raised in Toronto and then later on in Calgary for a reason. My wife and I moved to Joplin, Missouri for a reason. We've lived and been grateful to live in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Home of the Cowboys for the last 12 years and we are incredibly grateful and we want to make sure that we are aware of what is going on around us because we believe God has called us here. You've heard this. Esther chapter four, verse 14. I'm not saying it applies directly to me, but it just gives me a great way to look at my circumstances. For, a fact this, or for if you keep silent at this time, Esther is told, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from some other place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Think of all the times in which you could be born and you were born now. Think of all the places in the world in which God could have originally placed you and yet you find yourself here in America. For a reason, this time, this place, Therefore, I believe we pay attention to the circumstances around us and to the God who has appointed this time for us. And lastly, I love this reminder about why we need to be aware of what's going on around us. From the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, he is saying goodbye to some elders that he has cared for for many, many years. 
He believes he's going to Jerusalem, most likely to be killed. And he now knows that instead of him being the one who's taking care of this church that is just struggling and sometimes doing great and sometimes making mistakes, he gathers the elders around him and he gives them his final charge. He says this in Acts chapter 20, Luke records it, beginning in verse 28, he says this, pay careful attention, not to your fantasy football team, Pay careful attention, not to, your, not to the, the, kind of the order of classes that you need to have. Pay careful attention, not to how the stock market, whether or not it's going up or down. Pay careful attention, not just kind of whether or not your kids are watching really educational or helpful or really bad shows. He's talking about a level of attention to who? To yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We just celebrated that. Because Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves. Okay, chill, dude, relax. You preachers always exaggerate things. Okay, but there are fierce wolves. Hey, easy, easy. Okay, there are fierce wolves. You know, a lot of people think that the answer to our questions as Christians, is tone. I was reminded this week from someone much smarter than myself. The world doesn't hate our tone, it hates what we believe. The world doesn't just hate our tone, it hates what we do. So the Apostle Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, That's outside, and then he says this, and from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Like in here? Like it's not just, hey, lock all the doors and we'll just kind of have a real long sleepover? Like from in here? Like one of us? Who is it? Is it Drew Moss? I knew it was Drew Moss. He's one of our college pastors. Right, is it him? Is it him? Who is it? Pay attention because even from your own selves, men will speak twisted things to draw away disciples after themselves. It's, it's always about, is it about Jesus or is it about me or us? Therefore, be alert. Pay careful attention. Be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish. The word admonish actually means in the Bible to warn strictly now so that you don't get punishment later. You realize why maybe like tone in that sense matters? That when there is a warning, don't yell at me. Okay, but there is a tornado coming, but say it nicely. We usually say, thank you for the warning. I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. I love the direction of this. What is the direction? I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. It is not looking at the culture around us that matters so much. I commend you to God. It's not that circumstances are going so great. I know we're gonna be fine. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Culture shifts. Cultural tides come and go. I commend you to God and to his word. And that's what stands. That's what builds us up. 
That is what sanctifies us. Because I know that you know this. Things are changing. And, and by the way, for those of us who maybe are a little older than some of you, I think the freshman class was born what year? What year is freshman class born? 96? <clears throat> 96, good. Wow, 96. I am old, 1996. I mean, you might not notice it as much. I mean, the, the things about these cultural shifts that happen, it, it's kind of like a, a, the, the shift of a tide. Um, it, it's usually difficult to notice, but when you go to sleep and wake up or when you're not paying attention for a while, you notice how much things have changed and the cultural shift. It, it begins with very subtle and interesting things. I, I remember when this was talked about incessantly, this idea of what we need in our culture is just more tolerance. Yeah, I agree. I mean, honestly, there's a real good side to tolerance. I love the fact that we need to be tolerant of divergent ideas and beliefs. I think that's appropriate. I think it's actually profoundly Christian for us to listen to others speak and to, to hear what they're saying and not just argue. That is just critical. I'm all for tolerance. And especially in, um, in the West over the last 40 or 50 years, there's just been such a different level of migration and instead of it just being people coming over from Europe, now they're coming from all different parts of the world. And, and my wife and I, who grew up in Canada, grew up in a very um, culturally diverse city. And, and actually, there's something, I don't know about you, I just, I love, I love seeing people of different backgrounds and different colors and um, diff different belief systems. I find it fascinating. And I even remember when I was a lot younger thinking, wow, it's not just missionaries that God is sending out, but I can almost see the hand of God, discerning the hand of God as he is taking people from different parts of the world with a lot of the advances that we have and he's moving them around and I see him being glorified as the gospel is not just sent to places, but people are brought to others places and his name is made great in all of this and multiculturalism is something that I can actually embrace and enjoy but then you would think that as long as we're kind of moving things around then everything should work out right I, I, I don't know and again I'm just it's always my perspective and I'm a whopping 47 years old so I'm almost as old as the earth itself right but it just seems like racial tension has never been higher. With all this, all this tolerance talk and with all this multiculturalism, then why are race relations still so complicated? And then you hop on top of that immigration reform. And, and, and the good news is, is that as the church or as Christians, at least we have one voice, Right? So someone stands up and says, listen, we're a nation of laws and we need to know that we need to follow the law. Therefore, anybody that's not doing it in accordance with the law, we can't reward people who are doing things illegally. After all, all those people that are, wait, wait a second. What about the kind of care and what about the kind of love and what about understanding that we're ripping families apart and there's all these, like, like you're, just, you're just a hater. Yeah, well, you're just a bleeding heart. And the church doesn't even have one answer to this. And it begins to tear at our own fabric. And it's not just about immigration reform. It can even just kind of filter down into concepts like social medicine. Well, what about responsibility? What about the fact that we really need to make sure that people take care of themselves? That's what's wrong with this society. 
But what about those people who can't take care of themselves? The good news is there's one answer to this. Domestic violence is not only something that we just keep hearing about and hearing about and hearing about, but now with the advance of social media, there really seems to be one voice of this is not acceptable and this is not allowed, and yet it just continues. And with the rise of social media, doesn't it sometimes feel like it's just getting worse? And now we're just finding ourselves struggling with the idea that there is police violence and then many of our responses to that is violence against the police. So at least the good news is we all agree on gun control. That's the good news, right? We all agree on gun control and every time something happens, everybody has an answer, a different answer and as I listen to other people argue, and one of the best places to really get well-informed decisions of very intelligent, thoughtful, well-researched people, Facebook, where we know at least it's true. And we still have to figure out what to do with minimum wage? So on that, are you like a capitalist? Are you one of those people that believes like the rich should get richer and the poor should get poor? Or do you believe that we should actually take this seriously and everybody deserves the right to have a working wage? And then on June 26th, the United States Supreme Court decided to answer the same-sex marriage debate. And they came out clearly and decisively in a 5-4 opinion and here is the new law of the land. And, and hundreds of years of beliefs in this country about what marriage should look like is undone in offices in Washington, D.C. by nine people. And it's been fascinating to pay attention to and to pray over how that has been responded to by Christian people, Christian leaders across this country, Christian people um, with, with, with Facebook pages that now have a rainbow splashed over their color, their picture. And again, the church finds itself celebrating the fact that maybe now the church can get on board with a good cultural trend as the shifts are moving around us. And others are genuinely feeling like our own belief system is now firmly under attack and what other rights are they going to take from us? So even within the church, some are celebrating, some are scared, others are angry, and then there are a few that actually consider this to be an incredible opportunity to talk about Jesus again. Abortion, which was decided by the Supreme Court back in the early 70s, is now back on the front page again. Have you heard about Planned Parenthood lately? What is life? When does it begin? Now we're talking about selling human parts. Well, you don't understand. It's way more complicated than that. It's about women's issues. Can you just feel the tension? And you do realize that if you come down on this side, you're a hater. And if you come down on this side, you're, you're profoundly deep, and you, you really just care about people. 
And, and many of us are just going, it, it's, it's deeper, it's more profound. It seems like no one's really dealing with the issue at hand. But at least we know when a man is a man and a woman is a woman, right? And we have transgenderism, which is now reshaping how we fundamentally understand ourselves, not just as marriage, but the DNA of our bodies. And, and, and some of us are wondering, okay, so where will this end? And others are thinking, no, we're pretty much at the end. And then there are those that are going, listen, I thought that back in 1970. I thought that back in 1960. I thought that back in 1950. I thought about it many times before. And to top it all off, Cecil the lion. Like, I want you to realize how, how crazy this can actually be and get. So then why do we use the word winter? Why winter? Is it because you're Canadian? No, but I want you to realize that we chose, we could have picked another word. One of the words that is being talked about by churches that are trying to understand, how do we position ourselves as a church when culture is moving in a different direction? How do we understand what's happening around us so that we can have a paradigm, a way of looking at the world? Because we all have one. We all have a way of looking at the world. Is the world our enemy? Is the world our friend? Is the world our mission field? And what happens when the answer to all three of those questions is yes? We need a way to look. Some, some church people, scholars, theologians are saying maybe one of the best ways for us to look at this is like Daniel. And let's use the word exile. There was once a time when, when the church was in its culture and began to move and shape its culture, you know? That'd be Daniel when he lived in Jerusalem, but when he was uprooted and taken, and now all of a sudden he's in Babylon and it's a completely different culture. Maybe we should feel like we're in exile. The problem with that metaphor is it brings too much judgment language with it. I'm not saying that God, in the moving of shifting sands of culture, doesn't bring about his judgment in a multitude of ways. But I am yet to know of a prophet who has stood up that I believe is from the Lord, giving us a word from the Lord, saying that the cultural shifts that are happening around us are just clearly and only his hand. Listen, they are under his hand. They are under his hand. But I do not believe the shifts that are happening around us are just this blanket judgment as we see in the Old Testament. No, I believe one of the best ways that we can actually look for it, we spend a lot of time as a leadership team trying to find what, what way can, what word can we use? I like winter. And not the grab a cute sweater, let's watch the leaves change and get some cocoa. But I'm talking about there's this chilling effect, this gradual depletion of food supply, this um, shorter days and longer nights. I believe that becomes a good way for us to look. I, nothing to be afraid of. God is over us. But we just need to be aware of that chill in the air, that cultural chill in the air is real. It's not air conditioning. It's real. Over the next four weeks, we're gonna kind of cut this open and we're gonna be dealing with ways that the church should respond. And we know what to do because we definitely know what not to do. So over the next four weeks, we're gonna say, hey, here's what we're gonna do. 
about the changing, shifting tide of society. But here are three things we're not going to do. Number one, we're not going to get caught up in it. We're not going to say, listen, the worst thing we could do is become irrelevant. No, the worst thing that we could do is become irrelevant by being just like the world. If we offer no counter way to live, then what use are we? If we no longer take our cue or our view from God and his word, then what truth can we speak into the shifting tides and trends of culture? We cannot get caught up in it. We cannot run away from it. We can't just retreat. We can't just, let's just take off. Let's just batten down the hashes and let's just, let's just hide. We can't do that. And we refuse because of the Holy Spirit in us and God's promise to us, we are not going to lose hope. We are not going to lose hope. Jesus Christ himself said, and we believe him more than we believe the chill in the air that he called us to make disciples. And he said, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, I have hope. The other thing that we have, actually, is an amazing book that gives us a picture of other people of God who have actually endured the same thing. This isn't the first time that God's people have struggled. We know that God's people in Egypt were living in a culture that enslaved them that forced them to do labor, and and they didn't just despair. They cried out to God in misery, but they didn't just despair. We also know that they didn't stay there, that God took them out of that land, and he gave them the promised land, the land of Canaan. And by the way, it just didn't get perfect there. Now, all of a sudden, they found themselves not under oppression, but they actually found themselves living their lives with a bunch of people surrounding them who lived life different And what they quickly began to do was mirror the people around them. And the worship of Yahweh began to look just like the worship of Baal or the worship of Moloch or the worship of Dagon, other pagan gods. And so even though they weren't in Egypt and it looked like they were in the promised land, like that didn't just solve all of their problems. And God judged them and he took them, as we talked about in the exile, out of that promised land and he put them in Babylon. And now all of a sudden, we get to go back and look at how people like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I chose their Jewish names for a reason. Daniel and these people decided, hey, listen, we are going to stay followers of Yahweh even though our culture doesn't. I fully expect to see a lot of books over the next few um, years about how to be a Christian in a land that changes its opinion from what you're used to. And they're gonna use Daniel and these other men as examples, Esther, as a profound example on how we should live. This also isn't the first time that the church has struggled with this. Like guys, as Drew said, this isn't new for the church. The church knows what it's like. It was birthed in the time of the Roman Empire under both Jewish and Roman oppression. And let me tell you, here's what Rome knew how to do. Rome knew how to propagate itself. Rome didn't just hate followers of Jesus for no apparent reason. Rome said, listen, I don't care what religion you practice privately. I mean, everybody can have their own. This is Rome speaking. You're you're gonna think it's like a modern day 
parable, but listen, you can believe whatever you want in your own privacy, but I just want you to realize that when push comes to shove, you bow to Rome. And you want to know why? Two things. Number one, it's Rome that makes you prosperous. Rome is the one with its vast armies protecting the barbarians from intruding. It is Rome that is the one that is making commerce accessible. It is Rome that is increasing productivity. It is Rome that is making you prosperous. Therefore, do whatever you want with your little childish gods, but when push comes to shove, bow down to Caesar, Lord of Lords. And then Rome said, and and the other thing that you owe us, because we're the ones doing it, We are the ones that provide for you, I'll say it in Latin Latin first, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. We're the ones that give you peace. You owe us. And, And here's the church finding itself not just being oppressed when it refused to bow to Caesar who thought he was king of kings and lord of lords. Now does the 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 picture of Jesus in Revelation as King of Kings and Lord of Lords make a little more sense? But Rome said, listen, I don't care what you do in your own little privacy, but I want you to understand when push comes to shove, we are the one that make you prosperous. We are the ones that give you peace. Hmm, for such a time as this. And the church has to figure out, how do I deal with this? Not only oppression, but imagine the kind of cultural seduction. Well, maybe we should be grateful for Rome. Look at what all of that they've done for us. After all, we are Roman citizens. Or at least we're part of the empire. Come on, we've got to at least be grateful for this, don't you think? And the church has to wrestle with how do we live with this? And then in 313, the Roman emperor becomes a Christian and just with an edict, the edict of Milan makes everyone in the Roman empire a Christian. Ta-da! See, because what we really need is just if everybody was a Christian... And everything would be great, and now all of a sudden the church found itself not at the kids' table, but at the head table and at the head of the table. And all of a sudden they began to, appear, to, to experience the seduction of power. And they began to give in to the seduction of power, and now all of a sudden the church began to dictate things, and they kind of liked it. And, and they, they lost fact, or they lost sight of the fact that instead of it being about Jesus, it became about them. And I'm not saying not all of the church, but there were so many wrong things done when the church experienced the joy of setting cultural trends and dealing with political power. And then all of a sudden, there became over the centuries, particularly since the Enlightenment, an increasing loss of influence. And especially in the West, because it's definitely not happening in every part of the world. But for those of us in the West, and particularly in America, over the last, and I'd say it's longer than you realize, over the last few centuries, some of you might go, no, 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 it's just been since the 1960s. No, over the last few centuries, the church has been moving down the table, and I think right now we're finding ourselves again at the kiddie's table. Some of us are scared, and some of us are mad. Some of us are kind of optimistic. But all of us need to remember that Jesus Christ continues to say, make disciples. And I want you to remember that I will be with you to the very ends of the age. But that's history. 
And the truth is, is that it's the first time that you and I have been here. And I'm just concerned about the state that we're in. And I'm concerned about the state that we're going to. And it's such, such an easy like, dream for me to just say, well, then why can't we just go back? How do we just go back? The Bible actually says, good, good advice for us. Do not say, remember the good old days, for it is foolish to say such things. Yeah, but do you remember the 50s? At least in the 50s, it was awesome. Well, if you were white and you were living in a certain place, it was awesome. But it wasn't awesome for everybody in the 50s. And one cultural commentator did a phenomenal job saying, yeah, if the 50s were such a great time, who raised the generation of hippie pot-smoking freaks of the 60s and 70s? (laughs) And I'm thinking, wait a second, though, but my kids were born around 1996. And we're embracing a whole new set of problems. And I genuinely find myself trapped. And if I can be brutally honest, sometimes scared. I like the idea of winter because then maybe spring is coming and and maybe I'll even see it in my lifetime. But the problem is cultural trends usually last decades, maybe even sometimes hundreds of years. And actually, I genuinely believe that I will never see, and if the Lord should tarry, I believe I will never see spring. This is the world I will live in for the rest of my life. This is the world that my children will marry in, and this is the world that my grandchildren will live in. That's just sobering. And yet in the midst of all of this, I genuinely believe that what the church needs to do is prepare. Prepare.